Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Real Talk, a movie podcast. We are your go-to source for ratings and recommendations of past and present films. I am your host, Wes Jones, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, this is Tommy, podcasting straight from Nashville, Tennessee. The movie buddy Conway, podcasting from Bowling Green, Kentucky. All right. What's up, Real Talk community? We're back. We're refreshed from our nice little break between recording. Audience, thank you so much for downloading this episode. You're in for a real treat. The minds here at Real Talk, we thought, after classics like Halloween and Scream and Ghostbusters, how do you follow up a trilogy of episodes like that? And then it hit us. Mortal Kombat from 1995. But on a semi-serious note, We had such a great time and got some great feedback on our Spider-Man 3 episode that we wanted to do another Guilty Pleasure series episode and get it out sooner rather than later. And if you missed our Spider-Man 3 episode, our Guilty Pleasure series is where we will review and carry on about one film that we feel fits into this category of Guilty Pleasures. To qualify, the movie has to be dismissed by the majority of critics and or audience, and when looked at in retrospect, it holds up poorly, but we still have people that like it or it has a dedicated fan base. To end the episode, each host, we're going to let you know whether we think, is Mortal Kombat a good movie? Is it just a bad movie? Or is it truly a guilty pleasure? So let me bring my co-hosts in here. Today is Friday the 13th, a day when literally nothing bad can happen. So gentlemen, how we doing? Oh man, Wes, so good. So glad to be back. You know, today... I went into my attic, I pulled down my uh, Sega Genesis, I got Mortal Kombat going again, I'm ready to dive into the movie now. (laughs) Was it still working? It still worked, man, it still worked. Uh, I'm still as bad as ever, you know, I did a lot of fatalities, I felt like an 11-year-old kid again. I mean, that's amazing. I've got to say, first of all, Friday the 13th, 2020, double negative. Um, but man, it feels good to be talking to you guys again. I'd already deleted your contacts out of my phone. I'd forgotten who you were. You know, it'd been three, four weeks, you know, whatever it was. I didn't yeah, think we were ever going to talk again. You, yeah, I've been kind of call you. You blocked me, didn't you? I knew no, you I did. I deleted you from my phone. I just oh. didn't think this was going to happen again. Uh, well, why didn't you answer my calls? Anyway, we'll take this offline. I, I was moving on, but let's. Uh, let's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's fair. Well, before we get into Mortal Kombat here, a few episodes ago on our screen, you know, T-Man was supposed to watch a pig-headed horror movie called Tormented. And so I recently got, uh, I was recently catching up with uh, Jason Piles, a.k.a. Jay of the Dead, and he had a little message for T-Man. So let me play that. Hey, Team Man, Tommy Gunn, this is Jay of the Dead from Horror Movie Weekly. You got a pretty mouth. <laughs> I don't actually talk like that. West Virginians don't speak that way. That was my Kentuckian accent. <laughs> Just kidding. Nah, that's how I imagine people talking in pig-headed horror movies. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't remember, I challenged Tommy Gunn to watch a pig-headed horror movie. <laughs> What's pig-headed horror, you might ask? It's a horror film where someone wears a pig mask or a pig head. Or maybe even has an actual pig's head for their head. 
And whilst wearing said pig head, <laughs> they kill people. Great premise, right? Well, I challenged Tommy Gunn to watch a decent pig-headed horror flick called Tormented from 2014, also known as Berkshire County. And actually, it's much easier to find on Amazon under the title Berkshire County. And it's not to be confused with Torment. This is Tormented. And setting aside a film like Motel Hell, which has a great pig-headed horror finale. Another one of my favorite examples of a pig-headed horror movie is a flick called Madison County from 2011. So just so you guys know, Tormented and Madison County are both streaming on Amazon Prime right now. And just for the record, Tommy Gunn, my buddy Wes, not movie buddy Gabe, but Wes Craven Jones, watched his homework. He watched my recommendation the Corpse of Anna Fritz, which is about necrophilia. So that's way more objectionable than a horror flick. And by the way, just a quick little PS for Wes. The same day that you texted me to tell me that you watched The Corpse of Anna Fritz, another person wrote to me. It was Big Bill Van Vagel from Land of the Creeps. He wrote and said that he watched that movie as well. So come on, Tommy Gunn. Watch your pig-headed homework. And I want you guys to come back and join me again over at the Considering the Cinema podcast. Hope to talk to you soon. Much love, happy Thanksgiving, and God bless America. Jay of the Dead, over and out. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got to say to that? You know, here's the thing, guys. You know... Has it really been two? I thought it, I had several episodes. Did he say two or multiple? I thought there was like four or five episodes I had to watch this film. I thought you, sure I thought two. you were going to have it done within two or three. So this would be the oh, second geez. episode since. Oh, so man. You're, you're running All out right. of time. I'm running out of time, and I definitely don't want Jay to show up on my doorstep with that pig mask on. Because um, <laughs> I feel like that he might be into that. I'm not sure. Um so I'm going to watch it. All right. I'm glad he gave me that. You know, now I got the drive. Now I'm going to watch it. Jay, you're listening to this. I'm going to watch it, brother. I promise you. All right. There we go. So we're on episode 18 again, which is going to be our, it's our guilty pleasure series presents Mortal Kombat. So when we come back for episode 19, T-Man's going to have his tormented pig headed horror review ready for the audience. I think. Oh, it's ready. I, I promise now. Now I've got it. I'm on it. I've got to say, that recording was spectacular, Jay. Like, if I could applaud out of my mouth right now, I would. It was it was spectacular. I'm so proud. That was, that was really good, Jay. Good job, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, to help us out with Mortal Kombat, our guest host tonight is, is a friend of ours. Many years back, all four of us worked at Best Buy together. And every Monday night during the fall, the movie buddy, Tommy Gunn, and myself we'd throw a Monday night football party. After the game, everyone would stay and we'd watch some fun, crazy, ridiculous movie as a nightcap. And a couple of the movie choices were See No Evil, Tremors, Blood Rain, and of course, Mortal Kombat. And our guest host this evening, I think, attended each of those viewings. And if my memory serves correctly, was especially enamored with Tremors and Mortal Kombat. So we knew if we ever did a Mortal Kombat episode, Mr. Preston Driver, currently resident of Nashville, Tennessee, had to join us. Preston, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, 
uh, vaguely remember those, and that's probably for the best because all the movies we watched were so bad. But <laughs> Mortal Kombat stands out because it is so amazing. And even on top of that, I mean, I cannot wait for y'all to do a Tremors episode because Kevin Bacon gave enough of his lines twice to go on that. But yeah, I am just, I'm excited to be here and I'm looking forward to this episode. Well, well, right off the bat, I wanted to tell just a little story on Preston. And like I said, all of us worked at Best Buy and Preston worked back in home theater. Best Buy went through this phase where they literally set up a living room type setup in the back of the store in the home theater department, and they wanted employees to show customers the setup, uh, you know, demo the items, including this really awesome home audio setup that we had in the store. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe we had an Apple TV hooked up to the home audio. When Preston was demoing this for the customers that were coming in, of all the songs or the movies or whatever that you could choose to blow the customer away, Preston uses the song Return to Innocence by Enigma. And for those who don't know this song, I will play just a little bit of clip of that now. So anyway, for several weeks in a row, that song would blare throughout the entire store. And I worked in the front of the store most of the time, and I would just be cracking up as you could just hear Return to Innocence just blaring throughout the entire store. So, Preston, did you ever get any like good reactions from customers or strange looks or anything while you were doing that? Well, you know, looking back on it now, there's probably a reason I never got promoted. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> It, it might have something to do with Return to Innocence, um, but yeah, I, I can't think of a time I sold on that. But hey, it was fun. It's, that's why we're there. That's Best Buy. I don't know what's, what Wes is talking about. That's a spectacular song. Who doesn't love <laughs> Return to Innocence? <laughs> well, there's nothing against the song. It's just, you know, customers will be shopping around and you hear that, I, 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 just blaring throughout the entire store. And I know Preston was doing it just to be, you know, funny, but the customers didn't know that because he played it with <laughs> a straight face. So it was just awesome. You know, they, they told me from day one to sell an experience. And I mean, what can I say? I tried. You know. <laughs> Preston, you're on the show at a big time. I think our listener base just reached 10. So with such a big audience. Yes. <laughs> Such, a, But on a serious note, uh, I know you don't have a podcast or anything, but we wanted to kick it over to you and see if you had any, you know, shout outs or anything that you wanted to recognize. Yeah, so I'm I'm not a podcaster. I'm an avid fan. Um, I really respect what you are doing and I enjoy it. So, I mean, just a little bit of background. I'm in sales, so I'm behind the wheel of a car almost every day. So podcasts are what gets me by and I like listening to you guys. Um, but on that note, um, I do want to kind of give a shout out. I've got a foundation I'd like to promote. It's um, Dr. Ali and Ms. Benaz Hekmati Scholarship Endowment Fund. 
I know it's kind of a mouthful, but it kind of relates back. One of my friends, his friend um, that they were in the Marines together, Amir, was one of the Iranian prisoners. And Dr. Ali is his father who passed away last month uh, through stomach cancer. So it was a scholarship endowment fund set up in his dad and his mom's name. So just, you know, kind of want to promote that, maybe give a little good cheer to somebody that can't afford a scholarship or, you know, need some funds for their master's program and see if we can kind of help them out with, you know, little dollars here and there. And where can the audience give to that? Like what's the, how can they It is um, Dr. Ali and Ms. Banaz Hekmati Scholarship Fund. Um, I believe Wes will probably put that on the notes of the podcast, okay. the actual link to get to it. Yep. In our show notes, I'm going to take the link and I will post that. So if anyone wants to give to that, all they have to do is just check your show notes of this episode and it will have the link to take you there. Mortal Kombat. And then you're, Preston, you're an active member of our, our Facebook group. And you might have even listened to a couple of episodes of the show. And on Facebook, you're always posting or sending gifts of Mortal Kombat, which provides a lot of entertainment from us because they're always so funny. So what is it about this movie that's really stuck with you after all of these years? You know, I mean, I'll be honest. I've never listened to the podcast. No, I'm kidding. I'm just messing <laughs> that's, that's the response we typically down. get. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, Mortal Kombat, you know, looking back on it, I was, shoot, when it came out, I was five years old when the game came out. And, you know, that was my first introduction to Blood and Gore. You know, kids got Call of Duty and all that now, and they don't realize what we had to endure on 2D graphics on a Sega Genesis. And <laughs> it just, it's a, it's nostalgia, man. I mean, in the movie, I remember going to Get Real Video, Kyle Gherkins, another Best Buy member that was one of our bosses at one time. Um, he worked at Get Real Video, and I fondly remember going there. And I'm pretty sure I probably funded... Uh, Kyle's paychecks through all my rentals or Mortal Kombat every week. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's one of those movies that stuck with me. And, you know, it's every two to three months, I'll browse through Netflix. And it's been on Netflix for the longest time until recently. And I would just throw it on and it would be background noise. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's such a bad movie that is so good to me. You know, I, I, don't understand how it never got an Oscar. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't either. Especially after this last rewatch, it just it doesn't make sense why I didn't get Best Picture. Wes, Go real ahead. quick, I just got to jump in here. And Preston, so glad to have you on. Um, and I love everything that you said. Love the foundation. Um, and I gotta agree with you. You know, as a fellow Mortal Kombat super fan, I think both of us are super fans here of Mortal Kombat. You know, it's it's a shame that it didn't get more acclaim, but I think this episode, we're going to do its justice. That's right. We're going to elevate Mortal Kombat into a very prestigious realm. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> like, what is the timeline that you can receive an Oscar for a movie? Like, is it too late that this podcast can maybe make it happen? I think, yeah, I think we're going to work on some rule formats and we're going to submit this podcast to the Academy and, and we might be able to push it through. Look, okay, Preston, yeah. here's the deal. Most of the Academy does listen to this podcast and they're yeah. intrigued every week. They they, yeah. they probably can't put it down. If they're going to change a rule, it's going to be because of us. And so we have to give it our best today. That's and true. I'm really pumped about it. And I think we can do it, guys. Yeah, this is our one <laughs> shot. All right, let's do it. <laughs>
So I think for our theme discussion tonight, we're actually going to kick it over to Gabe. So Gabe, what do you got for us? Well, there's a couple things. So let's start out. Um, first of all, does anybody remember the blood code for Mortal Kombat? Just out of curiosity. No, I don't. Oh, this is embarrassing. I thought it was going to happen. So there was a big controversy with Mortal Kombat, and it had to do with blood. Do you guys remember that when you were kids? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, definitely. Wasn't it, like, almost banned or something? It was. Like, there was a Connecticut senator that was, like, a, a strong advocate. I forgot what his name was. I could probably Did look Joe it Lieberman? Up. Yeah, it was Lieberman. It yeah. was Lieberman. Yeah, he was, like, super anti He was in the news every day about it. He, he, like, didn't think it should be a thing. And that's the reason the rating... What was the rating that Mortal Kombat got? It was like MC-17 or something. No, M for Mature. M yeah. for Mature. It was like yeah. the first video game that got M for Mature. But there was a blood code because like on Sega, it already had blood. But if you had if you had a Super Nintendo, which was me, you had to push A-B-A-C-A-B-B. <laughs> and also, as a sad side note, that was a How do you tribute. still know that? <laughs> I guarantee he Googled it. No, I didn't. I actually didn't. Um, I can also tell you Liu Kang's uh, moves. It's four forward high kick for his like super high kick that he flies through the air, and it's four forward high punch for his like fireball. Would you like uh, Would you like Scorpion's like super come over here? Because that's back back B. Well, I'm not quite as asleep, so if you got any more, <laughs> no, stop, stop. <laughs> this is worse than watching that damn movie. No, it is worse than the movie. But what I'm saying is, like, I mean, really, this was a movie, like, far before its time. And there's some cool facts with it. Like, Mortal Kombat was only created by four people. So four people worked together for ten months. Now, the you're name, talking about the game, right? The game. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about the movie, because I'm a game specialist. You right. guys go into the movie. Um, the game was originally based on a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Do you know which movie it was, Wes? Uh, Bloodsport? I know. Preston. Call Preston. Preston. Universal Soldier. No. Well, yes, partially. Partially that <laughs> and Big Trouble in Little China, which is Wes's favorite movie. Right, Wes? But John claudes not in that. This doesn't even make any sense. No what wonder. Says, what? It says on Middle Floss. <laughs> Middle Floss lied to us. Yeah, I don't think Jean-Claude Van Damme is in that. Uh, that's a uh, that's Kurt Russell, Russell vehicle. Right? Yeah. Oh, that is. It says big trouble in Preston, Little China. With Gabe, I think we need to call Preston. Super, okay, Preston. Super fan in here, real quick. Preston, <laughs> you know if any of this is true. Okay. He, he's doing good. I'll let him keep going. All right. Okay. All right, Gabe. You're on thin right. ice. But hey, I will add on to your comment, Gabe. I, I know where you're going with that with the blood code. That was a that's a tribute to a Phil Collins album. It is. But um, and so yeah, that was a tribute to a Phil Collins al album. That was, I mean, this whole thing is awesome. Like, but what I remember most about it, let me let's flash back to that era. Let's discard the fact that I forgot that John Claude Van Damme wasn't in Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> all right, all right, let's go. Like, audience, that's like ninety percent of the information I give you guys, audience. Just ignore that <laughs> fact. But Wes hates that movie. That's why I wanted, wanted to introduce it. But what I do want to talk about is, do you remember the first time you played Mortal Kombat? Because I absolutely do. I yes. was at my friend Taylor Goddard's house. We played it all night long. We had just pogo stick for like 20 minutes. And then, and he was like, man, you got to check out this game, Mortal Kombat. And he was, and I was like, why? He was like, there's blood in it. 
And when we were little kids, you know, that was awesome. You were like blood in a video game. And then surely there was blood in the video game. And so we played it for like nine hours. It was like 3 a.m. when we finally crashed and fell asleep on the couch. Do you guys remember the first time you played it? I, I do. I mean, and this is not a joke. That's crazy that I can remember the first time I played a video game. I can't really remember other video games that I played for the first time. But I was staying at my friend Andrew's house. And my mom and his mom literally had a conference because Andrew had rented the game and they had a conference and they talked through whether they were going to allow us to play the game that night. So Andrew's mom watched him play it for a little while, watched the blood, and then told my mom, hey, the violence is very implied, but the graphics are really bad. It's just kind of the blood is kind of misty and the different things. It's kind of hard to tell. It'll be okay. And so my mom took the word of my friend's mom and allowed us to play it all night. Were you pumped? Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we were the, the coolest thing coming or going then. That's awesome. Preston, what about you? Do you remember? Oh, of course. There's only two video games I remember playing first. And then Mortal Kombat, being at my cousin's house, he had a Sega Genesis. I had a Nintendo, and he had Mortal Kombat. And I just... I remember button smashing and, you know, hoping I'd get lucky. And I always pick Raiden because I thought he looked so cool. And I'd always get my butt kicked. But, <laughs> nice. yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, like you said, the blood and the gore. I mean, going back to Joseph Lieberman, I mean, he campaigned against Mortal Kombat. I think he said that um, the Mortal Kombat would be the cabbage patch of the Christmas that season. But it has That's blood exactly and gore. exactly what he said. So oh, it would be completely you know adamant to go against it and you know mortal kombat brought along the esrb rating which every video game uses now wow that is pretty cool and you know joe you know you hadn't gone against mortal kombat you might have won florida in 2000 so (laughs) um (laughs) the and i do i don't remember it i think i'm probably it's probably similar to your guys story where you know i I wasn't really allowed to play it, but I did go over to multiple friends' houses and played it, and it was just, like, amazing. Like, as a kid, to play something that violent, um, I still, I mean, I don't know why as a kid you like that, but it's just something that we all liked, I guess. And it's because I think, you know, you know you're not really supposed to be doing it, and so sometimes whenever you're a kid and you're doing something that you're not supposed to do, there's this big thrill that goes along with it, and it makes you feel older like an adult and i think that's what it was for me yeah absolutely same z's t-man tell us about these video game movies the one thing i just wanted to kind of bring up real fast was video game movies because i know we've kind of touched on it in the past we haven't really taken a super deep dive into them and for good reason there's really not a whole lot of good you know video game adaptations and i think mortal kombat around the same time as street fighter Uh, the Mario Brothers movie, it kind of kicked off that wave of video game adaptation. So how long has it been now? Over 25 years. Mm -hmm. I know we can all kind of come up with quite a few number of video game adaptations. I mean, there's all the Resident Evil films that Game and I personally love because of the exquisite underground layers. Uh, You know, we've got (laughs) a special podcast coming up just about underground layers in the future. Um, 
you know, that we do love those movies, but there's so many others. You know, there was the Tomb Raider films. Um, there was the Angry Birds films. And I'm sure you guys can come up with quite a few also. Super Mario uh, Brothers, Double Dragon. Yeah, so many. I mean, name some others. I mean, what are some others that you guys can think of? Prince of Persia, Sands yeah. of Time, one of the highest grossing. Yeah, I like that movie. I'll even go a little bit further. The Witcher, the series. Yeah, true. Yeah, Let me way. ask you this, though. The, the question I want to pose to you all is, why are they all so bad? <laughs> like, we yeah. just named, like, ten movies. Not a single one of them is good. Like, maybe there's some, like, guilty pleasure elements of it, but there's not, like, one that you could be like, it's really actually quite good. So I just want to ask you guys your opinion on, because I have kind of my own theories on that. Why do you all think that video game adaptations have not been successful, at least not as successful as Hollywood wanted to them be. And if you think I'm wrong, let me know. What do you all think? So, Preston, go for it. What do you think? I mean, I didn't hear a bad movie and everything you just named. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, it's just, it's the genre. I mean, it's most of the video game movies, they don't get the budget that the big ones are getting. But, you know, on the flip side, you, you said Resident Evil. I mean, OWS Anderson, he did Mortal Kombat and, you know, he moved on to Resident Evil after Event Horizon. So, um, you know, it's just, it's the nature of the beast. I think video games have a deep lore. Um, Mortal Kombat's one that, you know, if you really want to dive into it, there's so much more there. And one of OWS Anderson's biggest regrets, he says, is not doing Mortal Kombat Annihilation. He moved on to Event Horizon, I think it was 1997. And, you know, that's when Annihilation was going into it. And he went to Event Horizon instead. And that's why he said he took on Resident Evil because he wanted to, you know, build a, a legacy on that. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be said on video game adaptations to movies. And, you know, I, I don't know. I enjoy them. Uh, by no means are they great. They're not going to win Oscars or anything. But if you want background noise while you're, you know, doing whatever in the house, it's they're great genres. Yeah, that's a good point. They are kind of like that background filler. You could almost say they're kind of like disposable entertainment. You know, there's something you can just turn on um, and not have to think about. And maybe that's the point of them. You know, maybe that's what video games are too. Also, so Wes and Gabe, do y'all have any thoughts on that? Yeah, see, man, let me tackle this comment. Let me, let me, let me step in here and defend video game movies. So a while back, like about two years ago, the Worldcraft movie came out, and that has a spectacular backstory. However, the movie was meh, and everybody even agreed the movie was meh. But the problem with the video game movie isn't necessarily the movie itself or the content itself, and I think that's a, one thing that me and you've talked about, T-Man, is the fact that the video game players want so much content in it from the actual video game that it almost takes away from the movie. And even me as a video game fan, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I would want all this stuff in there, but to make it an actual good movie, it can't have all that in there. And I don't think there will ever be a successful video game movie that appeals to the video game audience and appeals to the general audience for that purpose. Because like the video game audience itself is very different from the regular audience. Like they've played the game. And so it's never going to appeal to the masses. And so you're never going to get a good video game movie. However, my final comment will be the Witcher, the series, 
is the closest thing that I've ever seen to a good, and it's not a movie, so I, I'm sorry, Real Talk a Movie Podcast, and I'm straying to a show, but it it is the closest thing that I've seen to a good show adaptation because it is actually good for all. Ah, good point, good point. Yeah, I think you make a great point about how movies have to, you know, they can't take as deep of a dive as the video games do because they just don't have the time. Um, and The Witcher, that's one that is actually quite good too. So that's probably is one of the best versions. So Wes, I'll kick it over to you. Any additional thoughts on that? Yes, and we talked about this, I think, in episode two or three and just a little bit. I don't think we talked about it quite as in-depth as what we're talking about it right now. But So video games, I think, started out and you go back to atari you go back to the regular nintendo and the games they just didn't have a lot of storyline and a lot of substance because you literally just could not there was not enough memory you know in the the game itself to create like this you know really in-depth story and so the early video game adapted movies didn't really have a lot to go off of and so they just put in uh, just a bunch of other things in there that really had nothing to do with the games. And people are like, what on earth is this mess? And then there was probably a certain point where games had enough story to make a good movie. But I would say that that time frame was not very long because games have just continued to develop and get larger and larger space. And Gabe made a little bit of the point that I wanted to make is now... The games are so in-depth and they have these gigantic worlds and all the stuff that goes on and it takes hours and hours of gameplay to get through a game that I really don't think that just a single video game movie can really do these games justice any longer. You really do need a series in order to, to do it justice. And I think that's why it's just been such a moving target the whole time that... I, th- I think that screenwriters and directors have had a hard time um, have had have had a hard time with it because of that. Yeah, I think that's a great point you make about the moving target and how there was only that a little bit of time where maybe it was the perfect opportunity to make a good version of it. And I think just you know my thoughts on it, it kind of corresponds with each of y'all's thoughts. Is that um, I think Hollywood has struggled because they can either be too you know dependent on the on the video game story and then that a lot of times may turn off the general audience because they don't know all the ins and outs and all the backstory and everything about the characters but then if they go the opposite way and maybe go away from the game storyline then you're pissing off the the true fans the ones the loudest voices you know the ones that will get on the internet and and bottom out your imdb score so i don't think they've Like it's kind of like they don't really have a good option there. And so I think that's why a lot of these movies turn out middling because they're trying to do both at the same time and it doesn't really work. So it's a great discussion. And it's something that real quick to you, man, do you feel like it can be done? I, I think the only way it can be done personally is if you get a true like filmmaker, because I think that's another thing. That's one thing that we haven't really kind of touched on is that a lot of these movie video game adaptations it's not like the the A-level 
Hollywood filmmakers, Correct. for the most part, have attached themselves to it. I mean, there's been some that are kind of like below, but no, like A plus level. I think it would have to be an A level filmmaker, not being super adherent to the story and kind of doing their own thing within the world. Then I think it could be successful, um, but it's just hard to say. I think what maybe about- I think you eventually will get it. It's just we just haven't had it yet. There's some of the best stories. What about Zelda coming out? Like, isn't Zelda coming out within the next two years? Do you think that's a possibility? Oh, uh, the movie? I don't know. I don't I don't know anything about that coming out. Like, I don't know who's directing it or anything. I think another problem is, Gabe, like Zelda, that's already been done. It's, it's Lord Correct. of the Rings. It's The Lord Hobbit. The so it's yeah. like a lot of these stories have already been done in a way. So I think I think it's it's an interesting topic. And I think you will get, get one sooner or later. We just haven't had it yet. Okay. To kind of piggyback on what Gabe was saying earlier with The Witcher, I mean, I I think that was them doing it right. When it comes down to video games, I don't think a lot of the mainstream audience really understands how much lore and backstory is in these video games that people play on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, to do The Witcher in a movie would have never worked out right. And that's where they really fell with World of Warcraft and to do the Warcraft movie, you know, to put that into a, what was an hour and a half, two hour flick just doesn't work. You know, if you play the video game, the, I think it was uh, Warcraft three was the last video game playthrough I played from that series, you know, to play that whole thing through was nine hours to play that through on a video game. So if you want to make that into a movie into an hour and a half, you know, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. you just can't do it. You can't do the storyline justice, and I think that's where they struggled. So yeah, that's a great point. Great discussion. More to come on our video game underground layers in the future. Wes, kicking it back to you. Let's get into Mortal Kombat. And for our audience here, there's going to be massive spoilers for the movie. So if you haven't seen Mortal Kombat, 25 years later is really not a good time to start. So I'll just keep listening along. It'll be fine. So I'm going to pull the premise from Wikipedia. The film follows the warrior monk Liu Kang, the actor Johnny Cage, the soldier Sonya Blade, all three guided by the god Raiden on their journey to combat the evil sorcerer Shang Tsung and his forces in a tournament to save the world, which is basically the plot of the original game Plus, it's got a few elements of Mortal Kombat 2 in it. And the tournament is an interdimensional and was designed by the gods to limit invasions between realms of the universe. The Outworld, which has won nine consecutive tournaments, and if they win a tenth, the Outworld Emperor Shao Kahn can invade and conquer Earth. Big stakes here, guys. And is it just me, or is this plot starting to sound as convoluted as Ghostbusters? <laughs> Great point, Wes. Um, now that you just said that, I didn't know what the hell the plot was when I was watching this film. <laughs> I was like, what is the outworld? What is the earth world? Man, it was getting super convoluted. Uh, I'm glad you just explained it to me. Like Preston had mentioned, the movie was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, and he's had a successful career. I don't know that we can say that his movies all of them are very good but um he did however direct the cult classic as again preston said event horizon and i'm a big fan of that movie that is by far my favorite movie of his and so he and 
like we said, he's done Resident Evil, he's done Mortal Kombat, he's done Event Horizon. Well, so he's a Paul. He's an underground layer king. I mean, that's he right. did all those Resident Evil films that have just amazing underground layers. This Mortal Kombat movie has some amazing underground layers. I mean, he knows what he's doing in that world. I gotta say that. Let me tell you, he's an <laughs> underground layer expert. His above ground layers too. I mean, just think about all those stairs they had to climb. Yes, <laughs> you make a great layers. point. Above ground layers. We oh, haven't talked man, about that game. New brand. A whole new genre. A uh, whole new genre. All right, Wes, mark that down. We've got a three-episode series coming soon. All right, mark down an invisible ink. Um, the movie stars Lyndon Ashby, Carrie Tagawa, Robin Show, Bridget Wilson, Talise Soto, and Christopher Lambert. It was released as a summer blockbuster in 1995. Which I did notice when we did our summer blockbusters episode, nobody had Mortal Kombat in their top five list. It grossed 122 million. Oh, this may be why well, it only had an eight million dollar budget. Yeah, uh, after rewatching it, I know why it wasn't on anybody's list. <laughs> you know, to back up Mortal Kombat, I'm going to defend it because I'm the super fan. 1995, some other movies that came out that Mortal Kombat beat: Bad Boys, Casino. Heat, 12 Monkeys, Shawshank Redemption, Billy Madison. I mean, think those are cult classics and classics in general. Mortal Kombat made more money in 1995 than those movies did. Woo! Preston coming in swinging hard. What the hell was going on in the 90s? I don't know, but man, that is (laughs) that is amazing, actually, now that you think about it. Okay, for those new to the show, when we do these walkthroughs, I'm going to throw out a handful of scenes for our panel here. I'm going to refer to those as sequences and we'll walk through the movie and walk through these sequences and just whatever comes to mind. Let's talk about those things as we're going through the movie. So here we go. First up, we've got our opening credits. We've got the Mortal Kombat theme playing. We've got the emblem laid flat and it's spinning and we start having fire coming out of it. The emblem turns right side up, revealing the logo and then the letters suddenly turn to say Mortal Kombat. So, guys, what did you think of the opening credits? Does this put you in the mood? Well, okay, I just got to okay, hold on. Well, no, no, I don't. I don't want to hear anybody else talk. Sorry, right. I, mean, I, <laughs> sorry. I, I can't even do this right now. Look, we've talked about some really cool movies with some really cool opening sequence. Recently, we did ha- we did Halloween. I'm sorry, I can't talk today. And Halloween had that really cool pumpkin. But I'm sorry. This one kills all of them. We have everything. <laughs> we have we have uh, the soundtrack. We have laser beam sound shooting. We have fire coming out of the Mortal Kombat emblem. How can it possibly get better than this opening sequence? I'm sorry. Well, I'll just add on to that, Gabe. Um, it's never a good sign for a film when the opening credits are the, the best part of the film. <laughs> This obvious, and it truly is the best part of the film, uh, and it's truly all downhill from there. So, I'll you know, I'm just gonna disregard everything T Man just said and go back to Buddy and say how amazing the opening credits is. Uh, just a little bit of fun facts you know, Mortal Kombat uses EDM music, and the producers push for EDM. I think they went to Sony and Virgin Records first. They both wanted to use Van Halen and Janet Jackson for the movie, mm. and they wanted EDM, so they used a small company. I can't remember the name of them, 
But yeah, that's why we have EDM music and Mortal Kombat, which is what we opened up with at the very beginning. And the Mortal Kombat soundtrack was actually the first EDM soundtrack to hit platinum. And I think it hit in like two weeks. Yep, that was what I was going to say, Preston. Two weeks. And for those of you that may or may not, you know, remember um, uh, cassette and record and CD sales, when you go platinum, that means there's a million copies bought. And so <laughs> this Mortal Kombat soundtrack went was platinum crazy. in two weeks. I've got to I've got to tell you guys something. I was one of the million. I, bought I knew you were. I was I was too gay. Well, gay gems doesn't count on the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. <laughs> I bought the CD, Preston. Like I'll listen to it before every soccer game to get pumped up. Yeah, you know, test your might. Here's the thing I want to ask you guys: is, Why is that guy just yelling Mortal Kombat? Like what? We get it, man. They have to we know s- it's about see the, movie. the credits. Like can, we can read. We don't have to have you yell it uh, all the time at us. Can you name another movie where they yell the name of the movie in the first five seconds? <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I, I don't know what's happening. Like all as soon as the movie starts, I'm like taken aback. Like what is happening right now? Why is he yelling at me? Well, guys, I want to I want to play a quick game with you on this, okay? Okay. So we've got people that say they like the song and they had the record and anything. Over and over during the song, they list the fighters in a certain order, and again, that order is repeated throughout the whole song. It doesn't yeah. change. Can so, it. can any of you name the fighters in the song in order? Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Sonya Blade, Raiden. No. No. Oh! Gabe's not a super fan. I'm not even going to try. I like I was. What did I miss, Wes? Preston, it's all up to you. Well, let's see if Preston can do it. I mean, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Raiden. No. Okay. Here's, here's uh, what they, they say. Kano, Liu Kang. Raiden, Johnny Cage, Scorpion, Sub Zero, Sonya, Mortal Kombat. Contract. You should know this. I, I tried. I thought I got it right. I thought Liu Kang was first. Well, I will say though that the lead-in with the music and the fire, you know, it's dripping with '90s nostalgia. But I have to say, I really do like it. I thought that was a pretty cool opening um, title sequence. Okay, so the opening scene of the movie is a bad dream that Liu Kang is having. Then we get Sonya Blade and her partner Jax in hot pursuit through some type of rave or nightclub. They're looking for and wanting to arrest a felon and murderer by the name of Kano. Then we skip over and we meet Johnny Cage, who is on the set of a new movie he's shooting. We've met all three of our protagonists here, and what are your first impressions of our Earth-saving triplets? Well, this is the easiest comment that I've, I'll ever make on this podcast. Mortal Kombat's the ultimate movie. You want to know why? It has three opening sequences. You know, normal movies have just one spectacular ac- action sequence at the beginning, but Mortal Kombat has three. And 
and they introduce all three characters with each spectacular opening sequence, and all of them are riveting. Does anybody have an argument? Well, I do got to say, Sonya really literally gets into a gun battle in that club, and nobody even cares. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! I had that's that exact what, note down. Yeah, they're just like dancing still. Shit, like guys are shooting machine guns. She's got a huge shotgun. Everybody's just like, man, I gotta Pull get my back party off. Shotgun, blasting each other. <laughs> no, that don't phase me. I'm raving. Nothing. I gotta go to that club. I know that. I just I love what Sonia says. She says, "I trust one person on this planet, Jax, and you're talking to her." I mean, the writing <laughs> in this movie is fantastic. I gotta steal that line. That's good. But hey, I, I do want to hit on just some random facts as we're going along. Um, the guy that plays Kano, uh, Trevor Goddard, um, has an Australian accent for this movie. He's actually English. Um, and this is hearsay. I don't know if it's true, but apparently he bluffed his way through Hollywood the whole time, acting like he was Australian and said he had Australian descent, but he was actually born in England. Um, so he's not Australian, but it got wrecked on that Kano would become Australian through this. Um, and then Bridget Wilson, who plays Sonia Blade, Veronica Vaughn 2.0, um, she, um, actually got this role because Cameron Diaz broke her or fractured her wrist or broke her wrist or something during training for the movie. So it was actually supposed to be Cameron Diaz playing really? Sonya Blade. Instead, we got Bridget Wilson. Oh, so geez. 1995, Billy Madison, Mortal Kombat, <laughs> Veronica Vaughn. Oh, that's who she was. I was trying to figure it out. Figure it out, Preston. That Veronica Vaughn is so hot. And then she married Pete Sampras, I think. She did. Yeah, she he did. must have been. He was a big Mortal Kombat fan. No, um, he was actually into r- extremely hot resting bitch faces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's our RBF in this movie. I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and say I thought all the acting in Mortal Kombat, everybody did great, with the exception of Bridget Wilson. And it's because she only had one expression the entire time. <laughs> and I'm not uh, sure that's for that's it. just her uh, always expression. House yeah. on the Hill, she's in that with the same expression. Billy Madison with the same. This is just her expression. It, it worked in the mid-90s, you know. She it worked. won the lottery. She's angry about it. Yeah, it's just hard it, to tell. Gabe, I do want to go back to what you said earlier um, about three opening scenes that's a great point i didn't think about that but i was already getting by the third i was like man this is getting pretty repetitive i knew i knew that's what you were thinking team yeah and i was already prepared for it like i knew that's what you were thinking but i was like but i was like i bet t-man's getting bored with these opening sequences but i was like dang i'm so glad they did three opening sequences because how could they lead off a movie even better like i mean what could they do what could they do that was different and they did it and they, they didn't need to do it they... though. What there's a reason why it's called an opening scene, not opening scenes. Like you just need one. You don't need three. Later on in the movie, they've pretty much established the three main characters in the first five minutes with a background story of why they're there. Thank so you for us. I, I know we're gonna hate on Mortal Kombat. I'm gonna defend it as you know, <laughs> I've pretty much supported them the past year by buying their movie today. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, did. Bridget, Bridget Wilson is sitting in her house right now and just got a Venmo for three ninety nine and is wondering where it came from. And it's because I bought the movie on Comcast today. Um, 
So I'm going to defend it. And I think they, I think the pacing of this movie and the way they set up the storylines and especially that first five minutes to establish why all the characters are there. I think they did a fantastic job with it. I couldn't have said it better. I'm almost clapping inside Preston. Hey team. And we were talking about expressions and I know you picked up on this. What do you think about Shang Tsung's faces in the the first 30 seconds of the movie? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Like, <laughs> is is he acting? Like, do you think he was, like, acting on the film? And there's no way the director was like, this is good, man. Or was he like, dial it? No, maybe just dial it down a bit. He's like, no, this I'm going full method on us. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know we're going to attack Shang Tsung hard on this. But I think Kerry Hariaka Tagawa did amazing in this movie. I think he was the best acting throughout the entire movie just because it feels like he's the only one that took the movie seriously. And I feel like everybody else kind of showed up and, you know, had fun with it. But I, I loved his expressions. And just a little bit more trivia, he plays Shang Tsung. And in the video game, Shang Tsung is older. So they retconned it back for him to be younger during the movie. And I think it was Mortal Kombat 11 got released last year, 2019, that they actually retconned him as Shang Tsung, and he's the voice actor, I believe. Yeah, or, no, you're right. I had, I had read that. Yep. He needed a job. He was like, I couldn't get a damn job after all that acting I did in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> it, it's amazing, though, that it took 25 years for him to be the face of the movie, and then the video games went on, and then almost 25 years later, like, Oh yeah, maybe we should make him Shang Tsung. Right, they probably, yeah, they probably should go after performance in 1995, and no one gave it to him. So, there's another thing that I wanted to talk about here, and what the heck is up with the that the weird lighting effects that keep happening in this movie? Liu Kang wakes up to this extremely bright neon green light that's shining from the outside into his room, and he just thinks it's normal. Does he live across the street from a casino? What the hell is this light? I don't know. I don't know, Wes. It was like that Seinfeld episode where Kramer's living across from uh, the Colonel. The uh, yeah, the chicken place. But it's like so <laughs> extreme in his eyes. It's I don't obnoxiously know. Obnoxiously bright. See, defend, can you defend that one, Preston? What the heck is the green light? I'm less worried about the green light and more on the reason they filmed 50% of this movie diagonally. <laughs> Because it's like every time something's going to happen, the camera turns sideways. They cut really quick. The camera's sideways, 45-degree angle. And the entire uh, Liu Kang dream is like that. It's like he punches, 45-degree angle. He punches. You know, it's the lighting doesn't get me. It's just the camera angles. But, I mean, Paul W.S. Anderson, he knew what he was doing, right? I guess so. Now, I do want to say that, uh, Johnny Cage here, he is an awesome character. He's probably my favorite character in the movie. I, I really like his opening. I think it's much better than Liu Kang's and Sonya's. One thing I forgot to mention about Sonya, whenever she's going through the raid, she literally hits like 50 people with the butt of her gun. That just goes on forever. It was awesome. Just That's what I'm saying. Well, we like, gotta is go. this ever going to end? We got to go to that rave, man. <laughs> that rave, nobody cares about bullets, anything. You can light people on fire and people are going to keep dancing. I mean, she clears a path and just every guy just butt of the gun. But anyway, what I was saying with Johnny Cage in this scene is I, I think it's a pretty cool scene. You know, they're setting it up like he's 
you know, he's about to be in this fight with all these dudes. And then it has the funny line, you know, this is where you fall down now. And we realize he's actually on the set of a movie. And then T-Man, I fear you would like this as well, because if you notice the director, it looks an awful like uh, an awful lot like Steven Spielberg. Oh, and the reason not, that it looks definitely. like Steven Spielberg is he was supposed to actually cameo in the movie. He is a big fan of the Mortal Kombat game series, and he was supposed to be in it. He had agreed to be in it. Then he had scheduling conflicts, and he couldn't be in the movie. So they did that as an homage to him. That's that's what they call um, basically where you read the script, and you're like, I ain't going to be in this. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, ca- I caught that, Wes, because he is such a dead ringer for Spielberg. Like, it's yeah. so obvious. But that's pretty cool. I'm glad you brought that up, Wes, because, yeah, I, I love that trivia fact that Spielberg was supposed to be in a movie and scheduling conflicts didn't allow it. And then just to add some more of my little trivia facts as we're going along is the when Johnny Cage says, this is the part where you fall, fall down, um, that's actually ad-libbed. And Paul W.S. Anderson gave the actors a lot of freedom during this movie for ad-libs. So that's one of the ad-libs that stuck around and – you know, it's a iconical line nowadays. It is. And what's so funny about that is because a lot of Ghostbusters was ad-libbed. And we have, I feel like we've really been talking a lot about this. Matthew Lillard did a lot of ad-libbing and Scream, you know, and so forth. And it's it's kind of funny how these iconic lines and these iconic scenes that stick with us, it's not written by the, the people that do the screen screenplays, got- the screenwriters. It's... They're they're all ad libbed, and I think that's kind of fascinating. Wes, I've got to pause you right there, um, audience. I do a lot of ad libbing for the show. In fact, most of the stuff that I'm doing is just completely ad lib, and you should know that. Anyway, go on. <laughs> we could. Uh, here's the thing: that was not ad lib, Gabe. You had that written down. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did. Yes, I think he did. And the last thing that I wanted. To- to say here uh, on on this uh, sequence is the that like Preston mentioned Jean Claude Van Damme Johnny Cage is based on Jean Claude Van Damme, yes. and they asked him to be in the movie. He couldn't be in the movie because he had signed up to be in Street Fighter. So how cool would that have been though if they would have gotten Jean Claude Van Damme? to be in the movie to play Johnny Cage. What do you guys think that would have been better? Or do you like the actor that ultimately played Johnny Cage? I can't imagine another actor doing it after whoever it was, did it. You like him so much that you remember his name. (laughs) Whatever that guy's name was. Whatever that guy's name was, you know, but I can't imagine anybody else saying those were $500 sunglasses, asshole. (laughs) That is true. The thing about Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, you don't really think of him as a good actor. Um, Like if he would have said that, he would have been like, those were $500 sunglasses, (laughs) asshole. Like it would suck. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't think I, I've never been a big Jean Claude Van Damme fan, and it's not like this guy's like a great actor, but he is good in the role. So I think they made a good choice. Well, just kind of piggybacking on that, Jean Claude Van Damme um, actually was the uh, character model for the video game. So that's why, if you look at Johnny Cage in the video game, he makes the final cut. And for Mortal Kombat, um, they had asked him. But he had previously agreed to Street Fighter, so that's why he wasn't in Mortal Kombat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Lyndon Ashby he did he did good for the role. 
Yeah, he's my favorite character in the movie. I think he's yeah, he he has a he does bring some good humor to it. He's got we'll get to it, but probably the most memorable scene to me uh, he's in. But anyway, so let's move on. Let's get into our third sequence here. Next, we find out each character's motivation for why that they're going to compete in the tournament. Liu Kang is seeking revenge against tournament host Shang Tsung for killing his brother. While we're finding out about Lou's character motivations, we meet Raiden, played by Christopher Lambert. Uh, Johnny Cage has been branded a martial arts fake by the media, so he wants to prove he's the real deal. And Sonya is following Kano, follows him to this large dragon boat, bumps into Johnny Cage and Liu Kang, who are there. And since Kano is on the boat, she boards, wanting to kill Kano because he killed her partner. So there we have it, guys. We've got the character motivations. All three are now on the boat headed to Tournament Island. What stood out to you about these scenes and about their motivations? Well, the first thing that stood out to me is Christopher Lambert. What the hell is he doing? What is this voice he's using? (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it's overacting, underacting. I just know it's shitty acting. (laughs) Even as a kid, seriously, I thought Raiden was goofy. Like, he is so cool in the video game. And Preston, I think you mentioned that earlier. It's who you always wanted to be. Like, he is awesome in the video game. But in the, when, whenever he, like, he's got his, his head down and that hat is covering his face and then he looks up at the screen, it almost made me jump back because it's just, he just looks so goofy. He looks and ridiculous. Just, yeah, I mean, I just, with Christopher Lambert, I mean, it's, yeah, if you think about it, why is the you know, Asian god of thunder and lightning, a white dude. Um, probably <laughs> that didn't do uh, that didn't help us any. You know, they did they did a really good job of casting on everybody else, and then you know they settled on Christopher Lambert for rating. But if you want to even get even deeper, the first choice was Sean Connery, and he decided he would rather play golf than to do a physical movie. That is true. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's either we have a dude that speaks perfect English or a guy that speaks Scottish. Um, so we got Christopher Lambert, but you know, it's looking back on it and know a little bit more about the movie. He actually really loved doing this movie. He turned down the second one because the script was so bad. So he didn't want to be in it. And he was actually the highest, um, payroll actor, um, on the movie because he came off a of Highlander. So he's the biggest budget. And they actually didn't have the money to bring them to Thailand for filming because a lot of the filming they did was in Thailand, only accessible by boat. And they just couldn't fly him over. So they decided they would do um, double stand-ins and then just film him in Hollywood for his scenes. And he said, no, that's not going to work. So he actually paid his way to Thailand and paid for him to go there to do his scenes in Thailand because they thought it would be better. And at the end of it, he actually paid for the rat party, too, for everybody. So he put a lot into this. But throughout the movie, I mean, I don't know if he's Raiden or if he's uh, Christian Bell as Batman. Um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's it it's so dumb that it works somehow. Oh, that's a great point, Preston. And, you know, I always laugh. I always, I'm always amused when you see, like, casting of, like, well, if it wasn't this guy, it could have been this guy. Like, what type of disparity are they working with here? They either went with Sir Sean Connery, you know, one of the great movie stars, icons, and then the next choice was Christopher Lambert. It's like, 
We can't get Sean Connery. Uh, what do you guys think? Oh, Christopher Lambert. All right, done. Well, I'm just kind of a little more funny fact. Sean Connery also passed up the role as Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. So I'm sure after he passed that up, he's like, dang, I just passed up Lord of the Rings and I passed up Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Man, I could have been Gandalf and Raiden. I'd be more sad about Raiden, let's be honest. But, but Sean Connery, honestly... Like, spent a lot of time in Europe, and he didn't really care. Like, once he'd make his paychecks, and he'd spend time over there. And he didn't like to be in the limelight. And I don't blame him. Well, I've got a pretty important question here for you guys. When they get to the boat dock, what in the hell are these guys welding on? There is <laughs> welding going on I don't everywhere. You're making another boat, another dragon boat, Wes. I guess. I mean, they're welding <laughs> on the left. They're welding well, on the right, right up, down. They're like flying. Why are they working so late? I don't know. I like I've seen this movie over and over, but this time for whatever reason, I was so distracting with all the <laughs> welding going on. They're welding that dock to the boat. There's another question I the <laughs> the, the the qualm I have with it, and this is something that I noticed is, but I love it too simultaneously. Does anybody else like the Johnny Cage, Liu Kang sings? Because they're spectacular. Like when he's like, hey, take my luggage to the boat. And he just throws it in the water right in front of him. Does anybody yeah, that 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 Liu Kang goes from being so serious to being around Johnny Cage. And he's like, oh, $5. Let me smile and walk away. It's like you're going to a tournament based on your life and you just met the God of Thunder. But here's $5. Let me smile and walk away. <laughs> and like Johnny didn't even care that that luggage was thrown in the water. He was like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, He's a big, he's a big time movie star. That would he basically threw away five dollars. Yeah, he's like, ah, oh, it means nothing to me. Like, I feel like I would attack somebody if they threw my luggage into the water. But he Seriously. like he stole his money. He threw his luggage in the water, looked him in the eye, and then and Johnny Cage is just like, ah, that guy's funny. Well, guys, I mean, if you've ever been around welding before, like you're supposed to wear a mask and stuff. They probably had like, you know, that that flash burn going on in their eyes. They just they, yeah. they, he couldn't see. He couldn't see who took his luggage. He don't know what happened to it. That was the problem. <laughs> there, there are so many OSHA deregulations in this movie. It's not even funny. Just wait till we get to the Scorpion scene. I've got to <laughs> say I've got to say one thing that my favorite like line is when Johnny Cage looks at him and he's like, Thank God I didn't ask him to park the car. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So what about when this dragon boat pulls up? I busted out laughing as I was watching it because I forgot all about that dragon boat. And I don't know about you guys, but don't y'all think this was a little bit tongue-in-cheek just because of the, kind of the way the characters reacted with it as well? I think they knew that that was just goofy. They had to. Like it didn't, it's so ridiculous right off the bat. Like this old antique, like dragon boat showing up in Los Angeles Harbor. I think you're right, Wes. It has to be a little tongue in cheek because they are making jokes about it. But even with it being tongue in cheek, it's like I was like laughing too. I was like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? It's pretty good. Christopher Lambert in his writing costume, seeing that boat and just going, (laughs) and then the director, Paul W.S. Anderson, is like, we're going to use that laugh. For every line you do the rest of the movie. So um, I hate that we're having to move on for the welding because I was just enamored with that. But uh, our next sequence here is while on the boat, the team bumps into a couple of Shang Tsung's warriors, Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Everyone 
then arrives at Shang Tsung's island. Everyone's getting settled with this feast, and then we have a demonstration abruptly uh, where they're turning over tables, and Sub-Zero comes in and demonstrates his powers. We also meet Shao Khan's adopted daughter, Katana, who Lu is instantly attracted to. Plus, we also meet a creature named Reptile that Shang Tsung orders to keep close eye on Katana. We're at the point in the movie where we're just starting to get some of those filler scenes to move the plot forward and the plot and the story forward. Uh, as a 13-year-old kid, I was just wanting at this point in the movie just to get to some fighting and also wondering why looking at Katana made me feel funny down below. But uh, what did you guys think of these scenes and the new characters that we we're meeting? I mean, honestly, Wes, everything you're saying is is completely true because this is the point of the movie where, you know, the first part you're like, you know, this is this is pretty good. It's a little atmospheric. There's some weird stuff. This is where it all goes to shit. I mean, <laughs> truly what is happening at this point when they start when those fighters come in there and start kicking. Did you notice how they're like kicking pillows on the floor? out of the way they're like get these damn pillows out of here and i was like what is happening is and this is the point of the sub-zero fight right in that the no. section yeah that's this is I where mean, he, does, like, he does that this, he does free somebody the sub-zero yeah. interesting i just gotta mention i just gotta talk about this real quick guys i'm sorry what is that fighter doing when he's about to fight sub-zero <laughs> He is wearing, he throws so many air punches and air kicks, and he is wearing himself out. He's going to be so tired by the time he fights Sub Zero. Like, what was his strategy? That's a, that's a, that's a scare tactic, T Man. That's, that's very clear. Like, he's trying to scare him with his moves that he has all these, like, jujitsu moves. I mean, it was following? So stupid. Like, it was so badly done. Well, anyway. that guy didn't know that Sub Zero had magic. I mean, that's fair. Did you know he did? No, he's in the minion group. They're all minions. Like, what are they wearing (laughs) on their heads? What's those red toboggans? (laughs) Like, I mean, honestly, Liu Kang didn't know they had magic. He didn't, like, I didn't know I was going to Dumbledore's, like, island. He he didn't know. Well, yeah, I agree. But, like, the minions with the red toboggans, they would know because Sub-Zero's on their side. So, surely he's seen that Sub-Zero do that same exact thing to other guys. So, like, that was his strategy to just air punch 30 times in a row? (laughs) I've got to back us up a little bit on this because there's way much more ridiculous before them flipping tables and kicking pillows. When they're on the boat and you've got a dude who turns into lightning on the best CGI effects of 1995 (laughs) and has to blast Sub-Zero and Scorpion into the walls, and the main characters who have never seen this just kind of stand there, and Sonya's face never changes throughout the movie. Interesting no. <laughs> bitch face. You know, it's just they're well, they don't even like they're not even surprised. They're just like, yeah. They, they say after that whole entire you know kerfuffle is what tournament? It's like you just saw a dude turn into lightning, and you're worried about the tournament that the other guy. You know, you have another dude over here that's got a bird coming out of his hand. One dude's, you know, turning the ice. The other dude's got a parrot, you know, toucan Sam shooting out his palm. And then <laughs> they go up on the top deck, and then Lord Raiden says, "The fate of millions of people rely on you guys." <laughs> <laughs> let me let. All right, introduced like a ton of stuff here, and I completely agree with you. But let me pause and tell you what I noticed. First of all, the tournament. 
Does anybody know what the F is going on with this tournament? Like, is there a no schedule? Clue. Is None. there a schedule for this tournament? Like, how did Johnny Cage know to appear in a strange forest with perfectly aligned trees? Is there like, <laughs> hey, man, you're going to have to be here at 730 a.m. to fight off with Scorpion in this perfectly aligned tree forest. Like, yeah. And then um, he's like, you know, he's going to be off because jet lag. So he shows up like three hours late. Scorpion's <laughs> like, hey, man, uh, we're supposed to fight three hours ago. Who is <laughs> like, I mean, Johnny Cage fights that guy that just gets the worst like hero power. Like, you know, like in Captain Planet, when that guy gets hard, he's like, man, crap. Everybody else got wind. <laughs> he's like, I got the power to like growl like a lion. But like, how did John? How did he? How did Luke Kang know that that was going to be his first fight? Like, he was going to be in like the sand. Like, yeah, that's it, uh... <laughs> like. There's so many things. Is there a schedule for this tournament? How does the tournament work? Is it a double elimination tournament? Nobody freaking knows. Like, Nobody this tournament knows. is the worst scheduled tournament I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Why does Sonya going back? Ideas Why does Sonya just agree? She's on this boat now. She's like, yeah, sure, I'll fight to the death. Yeah, she was just looking for Kano, and then she just like just goes right along with it. What what I love is that you guys are noticing the same stuff about this movie. I literally have all of these notes. I literally have a note that says, "I love how the characters barely react to dude freezing a gun, a guy with a bird coming out of his hand, and a guy made of electricity." That is literally a note that I wrote down. Wes, that means we we've been talking movies way too long with each other, and that's why I had to get to that guy punching the air that fast because I, I had to say that i didn't want anybody else to say it i knew what you were doing <laughs> you son of a bitch well here's here's a couple of things what about that freaking skull that just pops up out of nowhere like over the boat it reminds <laughs> me of gabe playing that? world of warcraft they took it from it they had to what is yeah i was wondering that too like what the hell all right now there's just a skull in the air i didn't even remember that scene it's the most either. iconic line of the movie it has begun I mean, it's just, it's amazing. The CGI in that, I, on the rewatch, I couldn't tell if it was CGI or not, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> the press <laughs> thought it was real. It was like, hell yeah. I'll tell you <laughs> one other thing that I noticed. Like, like in, they're all like eating that feast. It's like a Harry Potter feast. They're all like, like scarfing down the food. And then all of a sudden Shang Tsung gets mad and they like flip over all the tables. Like, think yeah. about those chefs. Like all those, like there's like 11 chefs in the background that are like crying because like they prepared this fantastical feast and they're just like just stomping on it. Like, man, nobody cares about my, nobody cares about it. And like, who are these guys? Is, you, is that another thing y'all wondered? Like the, all these shirtless hulking minions, like who are they? Where'd they get them from? What are they doing <laughs> in their spare time? Do they just always like, are they just always hanging out on the walls? Like. It's weird. They just work out for a living, T-Man. And then, you know, what What, what other job are you going to get? That's true. That's true. Once you get into the minion lifestyle, you got to kind of stay in it. You yeah, know. once you go minion, like, there's no other jobs for you. Like, yeah. what do you mean? I've been a minion for three years on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like, where are they going to go from there? Yeah, I end up, you know. Security guard at, like, a museum? Like, yeah. nobody wants to do that. I killed 30 guys, you know, as a minion. <laughs> Uh, but that was a stage in my life. I'm ready to move on with my career. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work. I don't know if I'm going to trust you to watch a museum or not. You know, I'm not positive. <laughs> There's two other things that, that stuck, stuck out to me when Sonia first get, gets off the boat on the Island. Okay. So it's, looks like it's the middle of the day. 
So this and they got on at night. So let's just say it was twelve hours that they were on this boat. Okay, why is she still trying to get use a walkie-talkie? Like, how far is the range on that walkie-talkie? She's still trying to get jacks on this thing after a twelve-hour boat ride. Hey, jacks, you there, man? Is that yeah, a walkie-talkie like, or is that a phone? Are we sure on the status of that? I don't know, I don't but, know but they just it, went it the entire Pacific Ocean, and she's still trying to call that walkie-talkie. <laughs> I, just I mean, know. clearly there was a CGI skull in the in the in the air, like they passed through like a third-dimensional portal, but she didn't recognize any of that. I I follow you, Wes, but I I don't know what that device was. I mean, because it crossed over in like the '80s. Like, is it a phone? Is it a walkie-talkie? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. No, I'm, I was just saying, I'm, I love how she just decided to make her call sign Blackbird and said Jax was Cardinal. It's like, <laughs> don't be arrogant. I didn't even notice. I didn't even pick up on that. Next, we get to meet Prince Goro, who is talking with Kano, revealing more nonsensical plot details. Then it's time for the tournament to start, and whoever loses the fights gets their souls taken by Shang Tsung. Lu fights some rando. Sonya fights Kano, Johnny Cage battles Scorpion in an alternate dimension, and then we go back to Liu Kang for this really awkward fight with Katana, who offers him advice the whole time they're fighting for his next fight, which, again, I I didn't understand that at all. But now we've actually made it to Mortal Kombat battles, and as a 13-year-old kid watching this in theaters, this is what I came for. What did you guys think of these four fights? You know, the first thing I got to say real quick is it does take you a while to actually get into the Mortal Kombat in a Mortal Kombat film. That is one thing to think about when you're watching it. And then the other thing is, like, rewatching it, it made me realize all these fights, they all kind of suck. Like, none of them are good. Like, did you all have the same opinion on that? Like, the martial arts, I just, they weren't very energetic. So I just didn't think like the actual fighting was that good in the film. Uh, I didn't think Liu Kang and I didn't think Sonya's fights were very good. And especially not Katana and uh, Liu Kang. That was awful. Um, but I, I actually did enjoy the Johnny Cage and the Scorpion fight. I thought it was really good up until the very, very end whenever... Um, you know, oh, it's he, this really cool setting, and, and then it's he been gets a really his, fun spot. I know yeah. what you're talking about. You're talking about when he basically is like, hey, I'll take off my, my mask, and then I have a, a skull, and then I'm just going to stand there, because he never moves after that. <laughs> yeah, and then Johnny Cage turns into Simone Biles, you know, yeah. like the this gym gymnastics, and he's doing these gymnastics, and then Scorpion turns into Army of Darkness, and it was just kind of right. anti-climactic like, and goofy. Like, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even track with the game. Like, I don't know. I don't know. i just rewatching it, and maybe we've been kind of spoiled with, with the amazing, like, martial arts films we've had, even, like, going into the John Wick films and the Raid films. Like, the martial arts that we've, been, that we've seen since this film, I just don't think it, like, holds up from that standpoint. It does track with the video games because Scorpion's fatality was the fact that he took off his mask and breathed, breathed fire onto uh, whatever opponent he was fighting. Number two, I friggin' hate it when I go to kick somebody and I go into another dimension. 
Like <laughs> we've we've talked about some like some things that existed in this movie that were really weird. Like how did Johnny Cage know to be in that weird forest to fight Scorpion? But furthermore, how did he get out of that other dimension after he does defeat Scorpion? Yeah. Like, did you did you also notice, Gabe, real quick, just to jump in there real quick, do you also know how demanding Scorpion is all the time? <laughs> like he's always like, Get over here. Get over like, here. He's get so down here. Bossy. I don't know. <laughs> Like, apparently, you can only say, like, phrases with, like, get over here or get down here or get up here. They're only demands. Yeah, it's like, he he sounds like a tough hang. Like, he's not, doesn't sound like a cool hang at all. Like, hey, man, like, you're going up to a fridge and he's like, get me a beer. Like, can you get your own? Like, I'm going to the restroom. Get me some nachos. (laughs) Scorpion's not a guy that you want to spend a whole Saturday with. But... I mean, that other dimension, I'm really concerned. I have no idea how Johnny Cage ended up with his friends later on. I, I don't know. If you can tell me, Preston, I'd be enlightened. Uh, I, I have no answer. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, just to kind of recap on some of the things. I mean, the, the first Liu Kang fight, um, I have no idea why when he got his staff broken in half, he decided to throw it down. I mean, I would think two sticks are better than one. But and I'm not a martial artist, um, but he won. And then Sonya Blade, when she um, puts Kano between her ankles and somehow has enough inertia to break his neck. You know, that's when I was a kid. That's how I wanted to die watching that sequence, just because I love the <laughs> Um And then of course, like Buddy, I knew he'd get to this sequence where Johnny Cage is just strolling through the forest, and then Scorpion out of nowhere, get over here. Yeah, it's amazing. That's that's one of Scorpion's techniques, I think, is he pulls people to the underworld with him. Somehow Johnny Cage is able to cut him in half with a shield, and Michael Bay's direction took over, and he blew up, and <laughs> he got out of there. But, yeah, I mean, it's just the first three fights of this are epic, bad, and that's what we get. I think it was uh, Pat Johnson was the choreographer. And I know we're going to talk about it here in a little bit when we get to the reptile fight, but the original shoots, he was the choreographer, and you can definitely tell a difference in the early fights versus the reshoot fights, which is, is a reptile fight where Robin Show took over. And yeah, the fights weren't very good at the beginning. But hey, um, we're winning on Earth's side. So that's that, good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, the silver lining here. But I do, I, I want to talk about Goro. For just a minute. And something so familiar uh, about Goro's face. It and I think it's just because of the effects that were used, you know, during the span of the nineties. But his face is a mix between the main anaconda in Anaconda and Razar, the wolf in Turtles Secret of the Ooze. And he even growls and yells like Razar. So I thought that was kind of funny. It was reminding me of Razor a lot. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know if you guys remember this. There's a scene between Goro and Kano, and it's spectacular. It's when like they sneak into the like the little area that they're watching them, and they're talking about like the whole tournament itself. And I have no idea how nobody in that sequence won an Oscar, Kano or Goro. <laughs> but like beyond that. Why don't we see Goro in any movies after this? We don't even see him in like an episode of Seinfeld. Like Goro was spectacular. 
We don't see him in any shows, any movies, nothing. Does anybody like understand what happened? Gabe, you you do understand that Goro was not a real person. No. So <laughs> far. <laughs> This movie having the best CGI budget of all time, and they opted for practical effects for Goro, worked out. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought Goro for practical effects was amazing. I mean, even as a kid, I thought he looked great. And then rewatching it, you know, every month for the past 25 years, um, <laughs> he still stands up to the test of time. And, you know, practical effects look amazing. But can we not set aside a minute to talk about? How good that turkey leg looks when Kano is eating it in front of Goro. Oh man, he oh, is that, so good. <laughs> it looks great. Spit he spits out, out like he keeps spitting it out. He's like, Man, just why aren't you eating it? Just for some reason, every time I watch this movie, I crave a turkey leg at that moment. Um, T Man, didn't we eat some turkey legs like that at uh, Oktoberfest for Gabe's bachelor party? Did we did. We did our best Kano and Goro uh, impersonations then. Yeah, I always wondered why no girls came around as we were spitting out all the turkey leg meat, but uh, they didn't. Wes, rewatching that scene, now I know why. <laughs> I mean, oh, every man. Renaissance fair you ever go to, you get one of those spectacular turkey legs. And the whole time you're watching this, you're like, why are you spitting out like half your turkey leg into your wine? First of all, your wine sucks now. It tastes like turkey. Second of all, you didn't enjoy your <laughs> scrumptious turkey leg. Like, I don't even want to watch this part. Kano, you deserve to get a break, and Sonya gave it to you. Speaking of that, I'm glad you mentioned that fight one more time, because T-Man and I sometimes will pick out the same types of things in, in these kind of crazy movies, and we, we both laugh at it. And I wonder, T-Man, I wonder if you noticed this. What... <laughs> Of course, we got the bad, the, the talking and the one-liners going on between Sonya and Kano that's pretty goofy. But did you notice Shang Tsung as he's watching this fight? He's just grunting yes. the whole time like he's getting off. It is just yes. so strange. It's like, what is he doing over there? And that's one thing, that's a great point you make, Wes, because that's a comment I had. It's like, everybody is grunting so much in this film. <laughs> Like, they're just all into it. Like, it is some major innuendo. And in that scene specifically, like, he really is grunting a lot. Like, it's like, what is he doing? Like, he's just watching this. He's just watching Sonya fight Kano. And he's just over there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. I don't know. That was his porn hub back in the day. That's what, that's what he was into. <laughs> So, I don't know. All right, that was uh, another great sequence. So we're we're on a roll here. Uh, let's get into our next one. Next up, we've got Liu Kang. He fights Sub Zero, and he wins by using the foreshadowing advice Katana gave him during their strange fight. And that advice was use elements which bring life. Uh, Goro then enters the tournament destroying everyone he faces, including Johnny Cage's friend Art. A pissed-off Johnny Cage makes a request to Shang Tsung to fight Goro. He tells Johnny that he will accept as long as he is able to challenge any opponent, anytime, anywhere he chooses. Raiden, who just keeps randomly popping up out of nowhere, 
tries to stop this, but it's too late as the agreement's been made. Johnny Cage and Sonya share a moment on the beach where they all of a sudden become this love interest. So a lot going on here, guys. Um, what do you have here? So first, I'm just gonna, I'm not going to jump ahead because there is a lot in this sequence. And you know what? I'm starting to think, like Preston, there is a lot of good stuff in Mortal Kombat because we're having so much fun with this. So first thing <laughs> I want to say is that Sub-Zero fight. Okay, so I know you said something, Wes, about what the princess said about use the elements. I didn't know using the elements was just taking a bucket and throwing it at Sub-Zero. <laughs> like, that's how they finished the fight. Like, it is the worst way to end a fight I've ever seen. Ever. Like, he literally just picks up buckets. He's like, uh, how can I? Here, just let's just throw this bucket at this guy. That's how they got that off from Home Alone, you know, whenever he takes the paint buckets and ties them, you know, and hits the robbers. That was uh, that was a homage to Home Alone. I'm so, they, so yeah, glad exactly. me and Preston are on this podcast. You know, like, Tommy, look, it's got a riddle in it. It's got everything. It's got three opening sequences. It's got a riddle that you have to figure out what is, what does bring life. It's water. Uh, a bucket, apparently. A bucket <laughs> filled with water. And bam, and she's and he even forgot about it. So Katana's there in the background to be like, and she does a head nod, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I do pick up this bucket full of water and throw it at him." I mean, there's this is obvious. Oh yeah, she's like watching. She's like watching from a distance. She's like this whole movie. That's another thing. She's giving those fuck me eyes the whole movie. (laughs) 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 She's like, "Yes, pick up the bucket." I'm glad you pointed that out, Tommy, because when. Liu Kang and Katana are going in their fight. It was the most sexual thing I've ever watched since I became a teenager. Yeah, it's so sensual. Yeah, and of course they're you know doing their whole thing, and she's like the the element of uh, life will help you defeat your next opponent. And then you know he's in front of Sub Zero, and Raiden drops off the bucket of water. It's like why can't you just tell him it's water? <laughs> no, <laughs> go ahead and tell you know use water to beat him. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. This is the most elaborate tournament schedule. Like, how on earth did they know that this was a fake fight? I mean, Katana and Liu Kang don't even have a real fight, and and Shang Tsung is like okay with it. He's just like, all right, you've done enough, Katana. He can't. He can't. He see that they're literally just talking the entire time. Like, they're just like, <laughs> like, like everybody else. He's like, finish them. But at this fight, he's like, oh, you guys have done enough. I knew you guys were going to do all this talking during this fight. Uh, Gabe, I've got one better for you, okay? Because my note in this section literally says, how is this freaking tournament bracket set up? Okay, (laughs) so let me give you another point. I swear I've got it written down right here. Let me give you another point to that. All right, our main characters each fight like once or twice. Goro enters the and he fights like five, uh, like twenty, literally twenty guys. Oh, I'm and glad he just manhandles and kills them all. So why, why is his side of the tournament bracket? He's got to go through like twenty people. Where did these people come from? On the boat, there was only the three main characters. Where did all these mortals come from? Like, there's a They're montage the of him just throwing them into the ground. Where, are, where did those people come from? Does anybody have any ideas? I guess they were the extras at the dinner table. They were the extras, and, and Wes, you make a great point about that bracket. Like, was it set up like March Madness? 
was Goro like the number one seed and like he just had like everybody to, to go up again like how was it set up because you're right and that that's another thing that I kind of mentioned in my notes is like there is a hell of a lot of montage of guys just falling on rocks yeah. like <laughs> they just like fall on rocks fall on rocks fall on rocks it's like what like could they've not been a little more creative in how they're cutting this montage of Goro just <laughs> kicking guys asses of just like falling on the rocks but anyway mm-hmm. but yeah I really want to see how this uh, tournament is set up well, even piggybacking on that is Shang Tsung says at the beginning when uh, Katana and Reptile are in the shot and Liu Kang and Johnny Cage and Sonya walks in and Shang Tsung tells um, Reptile, you know, Katana, she's a worthy adversary, yada, yada. Watch out for her. Basically, Katana is fighting for the outer world. We don't need her and Liu Kang to interact. And he makes that clear in the next scene with uh, Goro. And then what does he do? He schedules Liu Kang and Katana to fight and have the most sexual fight of all time. <laughs> so I, I don't know how he schedules this. You know, he might use random.org. There's like, there's two other things that I wanted to cover real quick. A funny thing came to mind while I was watching these battles. After all the hoopla surrounding the violence of Mortal Kombat and like, again, all of us pretty much remember the first time we played it because of the violence. Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom has by far the goriest fatality of any of these Mortal Kombat deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, when they do like the heart rip. Because oh, yeah, most of the stuff sure. in this movie is, pr- is pretty tame for the most part. And the original screenplay, it was supposed to be much more faithful to the game with lots of graphic violence. And then they had written in some strong language into the screenplay. But of course, the studio would only make a deal for the movie if it was PG-13. So I was like, ah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. But you're right, Wes, the Indiana Jones one, that's a, that is actually a very very gory fatality. Can I ask you guys a question? Does Goro look like the ants from Bug's Life to anybody else but myself? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. The grasshoppers were the bad guys, so he looks like the grasshoppers. Oh, it, I mean, McGrasshopper, sorry. This is embarrassing. Really this is on he my really. own podcast. Preston is showing me up. The grasshoppers yeah. from A Bug's Life? Yeah. No, yep. they, they do. Or yep. I thought it was the grasshoppers from Ants. Uh, ants. It's w- one of the two. It's one of no, them. No, it's the Ants from A Bug's Life. I was right. Gosh. We're really showing our lack of uh, Pixar and animation knowledge here. It's embarrassing. I, just I, I do want to reiterate, though, with the Goro costume. I mean, I... I know we joke about it. I, I do think the practical effects that they did on that were phenomenal for the time. And I think when any movie, you know, wants to put in practical effects, they can hold up a lot longer than any CGI because we know CGI every few years gets better and better. And um, kind of looking back on Mortal Kombat with the practical effects for Goro where they wanted to go that route, it actually helped delay the movie a lot because that costume kept breaking down during the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm agree. with you. Goro, Goro is actually a really cool character. I, I mm-hmm. think he is, and and then they did a pretty good job with it. So no, that, that's a good point. I think you're exactly right, Preston, about the CGI and and you know actual physical like live action creatures and animatronics because i know we've talked about we talked about it in the jurassic park podcast we could probably have our own podcast about it, how a lot of times those age better than the cgi and it is kind of fun to watch girl because even though it's obviously fake 
there's something like kind of unique about the character and about how he moves and just it's just kind of interesting. So I kind of like it too. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's we'll go ahead and move on to the next sequence here. We've got Johnny Cage fighting Goro. He punches him in the balls and knocks him off a mountain, taking care of him. Shang Tsung, now feeling a little desperate, takes Sonya hostage and says he challenges her, but the fight will be in the outworld. Raiden's powers don't work there, so he sends Liu Kang and Johnny Cage after her, and upon arrival in the outworld, Liu Kang fights Reptile. So we're moving towards the climax of the film and into the final act, and I think everyone remembers Johnny's Cage's fight with Goro the most, and the famous line, those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. Those are $500 sunglasses, asshole. <gasps> what did you guys think here? Well, Wes, real quick, um, this is a type of movie, and I always appreciate these type of films where they know their target audience. And Mortal Kombat obviously knows this target audience because you got a guy, you got to have a guy do the splits and hit a guy in the balls. I mean, <laughs> that's for 12 year old kids right there. I mean, they, they loved it. And, uh, so <laughs> and I did, I, I swear that was always the, this, the most memorable moment in the entire scene, aside from just, you know, getting to see Katana on screen was the splits and the ball punch. Yeah. It's like, what 12 year old kid does not like that scene. So that, that is actually good. But then after that, that fight scene is horrific. Like <laughs> he's like wandering around the hall. He goes on this ledge and like, they do a cut, like a far away cut. You can tell like they didn't have the, the money or whatever to like do like the actual film. I think Goro, you know, for being such a badass, for being like this guy that everybody was like, man, Goro, he, he goes out pretty weak. Like yeah. he just like, what does he like slip? <laughs> he like falls. Well, like, I love him like coming up those steps, like growling, rawr, 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 like all the way, and then he comes out there and he doesn't know where Johnny Cage is. Yeah, and Johnny kicks him a couple of times, and then he just falls off the <laughs> That's mountain. It. Like I thought, girl was like going to be like the big badass, and like Johnny Cage takes him out pretty easily. Like so, very disappointing in Goro. Um, very much a paper tiger, you know, big show, but doesn't really, you know, have a lot in him actually. I mean, there's a lot there. You've you've skipped over a lot, Tommy. I mean, like always, you've named a lot of awesome things, but you've skipped over a lot. Number one, Goro obviously has a steel penis because uh, Johnny Cage punches him there, and it really hurts his hand. And he talks about it for a long <laughs> he's time. He's got a steel penis. Okay? Goro is uh, very hurt. He's wounded. After he is that wounded. But so, also was Johnny Cage. His hand penis. is hurt. He talks about it. He's like, oh, that hurt really bad. But second of all, like if you followed Raiden, Raiden told him to use the the like the the whole arena to his advantage, so he did. But then he gets up there and he doesn't like use it to his advantage. He's like hiding on the wall, but then he he doesn't like jump down and like kick him off the wall. That that would have been okay. Like if he if he'd walked out there looking for him and he jumped down and kicked him off the wall in one kick. But he like kind of like was like hello. Hey, see me up here on the sledge, and then he fights him for a while, and then kicks him off. So that's, I don't know. I, I think it's an okay scene. I love Johnny Cage. I love the sequence as a kid. Like I talked about five hundred dollars sunglasses for like I don't know nine months. But um, <laughs> is it too harsh to say that girl goes out like a bitch? <laughs> I think he does. I mean, he's the king of underground layers, and he's an underground bitch. 
There you go. <laughs> so if we backtrack a little bit to Raiden's speech with um, Johnny Cage, Sonya Blade, and Luke Kane, one of the things he tells Johnny Cage is you fight foolishly. You know, what happens at the beginning is those are $500 sunglasses, asshole, which side trivia, those were, that was an ad-lib line that got left in the movie. And instead of Johnny Cage fighting them head on, he took the high ground. So that's actually a smart technique if you want to look at it that way. So it was kind of foreshadowing from the previous conversation from Raiden. So, you know, it's, yeah, I think Goro did go out like a bitch, but, you know. Preston, speaking of that, that's a great point that you make because Raiden is supposed to be this, this teacher type character, right? And he does have a few scenes where he's doing that. But before they go to battle Shang Tsung in the outworld, they act like that Liu Kang has learned so much from Raiden. Like, you remember at the very beginning, Raiden and the monk are talking and Liu Kang's not ready. And then it's really Katana that's the one that has, you know, given him some advice. But then all of a sudden they just revert back to where Raiden is this teacher and now Liu Kang is ready. Did I miss something, or did he learn next to nothing from Raiden Zero this thing. whole time? Zero except thing. for, like, the rules that, of the tournament. He learned how to throw that bucket. Yeah, but Katana <laughs> told him that. Oh, yeah. He's learned zero things. And on top of that, Johnny Cage has <laughs> defeated the hardest enemies. He defeated Scorpion and Goro. Honestly, I think, I think Johnny Cage should be fighting Shang Tsung at the end. Well, I'm, I was always disappointed in the movie because you only see Johnny Cage's power when he, you know, does that quick step in the Scorpion. Yeah. You know, you know, you see Johnny Cage do his full, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like super speed kick and punches and all that stuff. Nobody could do that move in the game, so I don't think anybody was, like, super upset. But, I mean, Johnny Cage was the star of this movie until that point. And, like, and then all of a sudden it's Liu Kang's quest. And he gets to fight the rest of the fights for the rest of the movie. Well, one thing I do want to hit on, because I think this is the most important, best part of the movie, is the reptile fight with Liu Kang. Um, For the sheer fact that that was actually post-production. That was not on the original um, showing when they were showing viewing audiences to get their feedback. Everybody said, we need more reptile. So that came post-production. So on the credits, you won't see Robin Show, who plays Liu Kang, as a choreographer. You'll see him as Liu Kang. He was actually the choreographer for the reptile fight. He actually worked with Jackie Chan in Hong Kong. So he learned under Jackie Chan for a little while. He's the first person to introduce, um, I'm going to butcher it, it's like wire work martial arts in movies, in a, uh, in a big uh, blockbuster Hollywood movies type style. So Mortal Kombat was the first one to do wire work. Um, the next one that everybody knows is The Matrix in 1999. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the Reptile fight is actually all choreographed by Robin Show, which I undoubtedly think that that fight would hold up against any choreographed fight of anything now, um, just for the way it was done. And a little bit more tidbit, he actually broke two ribs during that fight um, when he got thrown into the column. It wasn't supposed to happen that hard. He broke two ribs. Mm. But I do think that that fight undoubtedly is the best fight of the movie. And I think it holds up. I'd, I'd love to know what y'all think about that one. Well, well my, no. I literally have a note here that says Lou versus Reptile is a really cool fight. 
and then I put, but that freaking bicycle kick by Liu Kang at the very end had me rolling. It's like, you know, the, the music's building, the fight's really good, you know, they're doing a bunch of flips and kicks and blocks and 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 getting each other pretty good. And I'm like, man, this is this is good. This is this is a, a cool fight. And then he brings out that bicycle kick and just had me back laughing again. I mean, a couple of things. So I, I love how when they get into Outworld, Johnny Cage says, so this is Outworld. And they're, Outworld kind of sucks. I'm just going to say it right now. Like, <laughs> it's Outhouse Shanks, World. Like, honestly, Shang Tsung, no wonder he's fighting people. He should have spent his time building houses and building up Outworld because Outworld just sucks. But but that but that fight is spectacular. Like that fight is so good. But then it ends with like him being kicked into worms and then stepping on like reptiles head. And I'm like, and the absolute worst CGI on the planet is reptile. Like the other the rest of the stuff in the movie I can ignore. But reptile is terrible. Um, I, I don't know. That's all I have to say about it. No, I think you guys are exactly right. So a couple of things about this. Like Preston, you make a lot of great points there. First, when they go travel that world, uh, y'all remember the Power Rangers movie that came out like same time? Is that like the ooze from the it's Power Rangers? Same year. Yeah, it's like remember it was that purple ooze. Like it's the same stuff that takes them to that <laughs> world. So that's one thing. Uh, second of all, you, you guys were just talking about how badass Johnny Cage is. You know, he's the man. Where the hell did Johnny Cage go when Reptile started fighting? Like where was he? <laughs> he's just hanging outside smoking like, is he getting a smoke break it's like all right man okay that's you man i i killed scorpion dog i killed garo dog you got him I, I tired. i'm tired i'm tired no, no, no that's not it look where was katana katana wasn't there either if i was johnny cage i would have been hanging out with katana as well Heck, they're making yes. out we know what he was doing. Yeah, he's a movie star. Prince has been lonely. Luke Kane ain't showing her enough attention. All right, I'm with you. Um, <laughs> then the other thing is, Gabe, that's a great point. I always love how, okay, Reptile, he, he defeats him, and then he just turns into bugs? Yeah. Like, what? That's the best they could have came up with? Here, let's just have him turn into bugs. Well, guys, right. that's what happens when you get bicycle kicked like that. I you know, just turn yeah. into slugs and, 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 and centipedes and stuff. Well, I can tell you, I can speak to the bugs, but I do know that um, originally when he throws Reptile into the sculpture and it sucks him back in and that turns into Reptile, that was actually supposed to be the end of the fight originally where he defeats him and throws him into it and the sculpture captures him. So I can't speak to the bugs, but I do know originally the beginning of the fight was supposed to be the very end. Mm. Oh. Gotcha. That's that actually sense. cool. They should have stuck with that instead yeah. of the bug sequence and then the smashing of the reptile. <laughs> they should have because that, that <laughs> part is awful. But I will agree with you, Preston, because I know I was dissing the fights earlier. That is actually a good fight, so I, I will agree with you on that. That's actually probably the best fight of the movie. And it just is a little, good, but there's fact, one bad se- section. I have to like point it out. There's a section where reptile like jumps at him and he's like doing all these slapping motions in the sky. Does anybody notice that? Like, it's like weird. It's like at the very end, like he's not actually doing any karate moves. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> move on. No, I'll just say real quick. I'm not sure, Gabe. I have to watch it again. But where they filmed that at is actually the same as like factory or something that they filmed the ending at Terminator 2. So, mm. a little fun fact. Yeah. Okay, okie doke. I think we're ready for our second to last sequence here. 
Uh, Katana meets up with Lou and Johnny. She tells them the origin story of Outworld, which I don't even remember what it is. Um, they instantly know where Shang Tsung is and make their way to his castle. Inside the castle, Shang Tsung challenges Sonya to fight him. Her refusal means Earth basically forfeits to Outworld. And, of course, that means that now Outworld can invade Earth. We think all is lost. But boom! Liu Kang, Johnny, and Katana reveal themselves dressed up as monks. And Shang Tsung poops his pants. So, all of this is just so convoluted. But, aside from Sonya going into Outworld and immediately turning into a member of an 80s hair metal band... What do you guys think about the final setup here? I mean, I mean, I'm honest. I'm glad that they gave Sonya time to do her hair. Like she had a <laughs> lot of time to tease her hair. It looks spectacular in this sequence. Like earlier, it had been straight in a ponytail for a long time, and we were like, "Is she even attractive?" We didn't know. But then they gave her time. They were like, "Hey, we're going to hold you hostage, and you're going to be the final fight scene." And they gave her time, and I'm I'm really happy about that. I don't know about you guys. Well, I, what I really like about this little end piece is how, you know, for most of the movie, Sonya is like a strong woman. She's fighting. She's killing dudes. Like, she's yeah. shooting shotguns. But, like, Hollywood and all their infinite wisdom, you know, sooner or later, they always got to make the woman the damsel in distress. So they're like, <laughs> you know what? You know, all right, women, we got you. You know, we gave you your little thing about she's a strong woman. But let us let us do our usual thing and let's turn her into a, a woman where a guy have to save her. So I just kind of <laughs> laugh at that. It's like, after all all that at the very end they still have to save Sonya so it's like good grief I know and it's so against her character too like because her character at the beginning is just such a badass you know that's how they're 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 building her up and right. then yeah. at the end she can't do anything it, nothing like she can't even fight she's like refusing to fight which if that was her character in the beginning there was no like she would be like even if I'm gonna lose I'm gonna fight you yeah you know we'll we'll see right. what happens but it just shows you like how a lot of times Hollywood and screenwriters in general, they just they go back to the tropes and they just they have that lack of imagination. They're like, uh, how do we get in? Uh, let's just have Sonya be the damsel in distress. I'm really proud of her, though. I got to say, you know, she she looked at the schedule, noticed she only had one fight the whole movie. And then she also noticed that if she refused Shang Tsung. She didn't have to fight him, so she had refused him all the way up until, you know, Liu Kang got there. So, that, luckily, she knew one of the trick rules that all she had to do was refuse to fight. How does she know that trick rule? <laughs> they just bring it up, like, literally, like, with 10 minutes left in the movie. It's like, oh, if she refuses. Yeah, so. I'm just so confused about what the heck is going on by this point. I have no idea. I don't know. And here's another thing I don't understand. What is Katana talking about? Like the whole movie, really, she no is way. just just all these one-liners, but I, no clue what she's talking about. I usually, when I was watching, I usually just put it on mute. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear what she has to say. Well, it's just it's just not making any well, sense. It's not even her. It's that whole conversation. I know what you're talking about was after the the reptile fight. It's like that whole conversation all the characters have is just such nonsensical, and it's like gibberish almost. It's like what is happening? Let's just get to the end already. Well, speaking of that, in in Gabe talking about his rules of the tournament and the bracket and all that, we got all these fighters still in it, and Shang Tsung just skips to the end with so much left to be resolved. So. Another well thing I wanted to ask about is who lights all those torches? 
Like, if you'll notice in Outworld, there's like a million torches lit, and in the regular world, like they were in, Dave, there's like a. Who do you think the minions? Why? Why else do you have minions if not to light torches? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I feel like the movie did so good on the build up, and then the ending, they were like, "Oh crap, we're out of money." <laughs> really quick, and they come up with this. Yeah, it's like what? <laughs> Well, let's let's talk about that. So our last sequence here is instead of Sonya, Lou challenges Shang Tsung. They have this huge battle where ultimately Lou wins by impaling Shang Tsung on some spikes. Mm -hmm. It releases all the souls Shang Tsung has taken captive, including Lou's brother. They all return to Earth to celebrate. All of a sudden, Shao Kahn, who if I don't even know, like, even if you're paying attention, if you even know who this character is. As a kid, I did not. No he way. appears in the sky, declares he's come for their souls, and Raiden says, I don't think so. And the movie ends. <laughs> so take us home, guys. What about this last so, fight and then the ending of the movie? So first thing I gotta say on this before anybody else jumps in, because this is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. I thought I'd seen it all. You know, we'd seen a lot of great stuff. Ball punching Gora, you know, <laughs> awful fight sequences. That gar that guy air punching 30 times, that was pretty legit. Um, but what about that part where the bad guy, I can't even think of his name at this point, um, just summons his like his other fighters and they just come up out of the sewer. And they just like start oh, yes. jumping up, and it's like I was literally dying laughing. Like, what is <laughs> happening? Who are these people? Like, one of them's like a like Genghis Khan, I think, isn't he? Like, Genghis, <laughs> like so we pulled up Genghis Khan here, like, and they're just like doing all the punches in the air again. They're doing the grunting. It's like everything that we've joked about, every all the jokes we made, kind of like came to a conclusion in that one little sequence. It's just amazing. Well, T-Man, I'll put, here's my note. This is what my note says. Who the heck were these guys coming up out of the sewers? <laughs> yes. I put, <laughs> I put, they're literally the worst fighters in the whole movie. <laughs> Ever. Like, are these his, these are his A-team. You know, he had all a thousand, de like, a thousand ghosts to call up, apparently. And he was like, all right, I got a guy that I might not be able to beat. I need my A-team ghost. And that's who he calls? <laughs> like... I, I told you, T-Man, and I noticed the same stuff. In you a-hole. Like, that is my exact same note, too. I'm like, he has a thousand souls at his disposal, and that's the best he's got? Like, these he's got guys. a thousand souls. Like, these are the most useless souls ever. He should just discard them. <laughs> like, they literally have swords, and, like, he, they still get beat. If you think of it this way, though, is that Luke Kane has progressed through the movie, and once he beat Reptile... And Katana said, I think she said something like, you're ready, or now you know, or something like that. Yeah. Like, once he reaches Shang Tsung, it's like, that is the Liu Kang. Now, like, that's his prime form. So, I mean, yeah, he should beat them handedly. I love that Preston's staying in full character. Like, it just gets me so stoked. <laughs> like, I... I, I I respect him. I love him more for like staying in like full character and defending this movie to the end. Like he, he will probably like stand the test of time. But what I will say is like, honestly, these characters suck. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely awful. Like Shang Tsung has a thousand friggin' warriors and this is the best he's got. This is terrible. 
Yeah, well, this is a team. He's um, gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the guy's name. Something Gould. Um, he's the descendant of that, that guy, the last guy to win the tournament for the Mortals. So he is like the ultimate fighter. That he's reached his peak. That these guys should be single-handedly dealt with by him. Like Shane Stone's his only adversary then. Yeah, but like that's his A team. He's like, all right, guys. The night before, he's like, all right, I need my A team ghosts here. Like, let's get this guy. They're like, I could do it, boss. We could do it, and they just get <laughs> destroyed. And plus, why are they living in those sewers? That's another thing I need to we need to figure out. They're like in an underground lair that we never got to see, Gabe. We need to figure that out. Uh, I got I got to pause. So. In in these like martial arts movies, have you guys never noticed like somebody gets knocked out? Has anybody ever woken up like ahead of time? Like every time like somebody like punches out a guy, like they're just dead for the rest of the movie. They're yeah. just like laying there knocked out. Has nobody ever woken up like never. you know, you just accidentally hit me in the like the forehead. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, and like fought. Yeah, like, did you notice after he fought the he fought all the the eighteen ghosts, they're all just lying there. They're like all asleep. That's thing number one. Thing number two is my favorite challenge of this whole fight is challenge number two. Challenge number one is like face your enemy. Then challenge number two is face yourself. And the whole challenge is all you have to say is um, you may be able to see my soul, but you don't own it. And then that challenge (laughs) is over. Challenge number three. Like, did anybody notice that? Like, that's challenge number two. You may be able to see my soul, but you don't own it. That's where Preston said they're running out of money. So they're like, all right, uh, let's just, we got to get these challenges over. Well, we can can at least say that uh, Liu Kang has got this awesome lion's mane mullet uh, going on in this movie, and it is glorious in this last fight. Man, it looks good. I'm jealous. I have no hair. Good to know, Gabe. <laughs> well, <laughs> thinking about that today, watching the movie, I'm like, man, like you can't cut bangs like that anymore. Like something about 1995 and the shampoo. Yeah, like you just you can't do that anymore. It would just lay too flat. I know. Uh, we 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 need to call him up and just find out, you know, how he got that because it's not it's not just a mullet and it's not just a lion's mane. It's some kind of hybrid. But it is it is truly glorious. What about that last fight where he's he like he I love how okay, so he's fighting the bad guy. Like I said, I still I can't even remember his name at this point. Um yeah, there you go. And he's like he's just repeatedly punching him over and over again. <laughs> like it, <laughs> I actually kinda like it. Like, even though I've made fun of this movie the entire time and I and I'm I apologize. For any fans out there, like I actually kind of like that last little sequence where he just like repeatedly punches him over again, and then that summons what I always like to call the Ghostbusters light into the sky, because yeah. it's always it's another example of Hollywood's lack of imagination. Because it's like, all right, how can we like do some type of supernatural thing? Let's just do a big light into heaven, because they do that in all the movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. You're right. Anyway, that's it. That's all I got. Okay, so the last thing we're going to do here is let's just go around table, get our quick final thoughts on the movie, and then tell the audience, okay, is this a good movie? Is this a bad movie? Does it just suck? Or is it truly a guilty pleasure? And so since Preston is our guest of honor, uh, take it away. 
this movie sucks, but on that note, <laughs> I would say that you won't find anything else that you can feel background noise if you're just bored on a weekday and you want to watch something. This is the movie for it. So, I mean, I would give it a eight and a half out of ten, easy, on the watchability scale. So is it a guilty pleasure then? Oh, of course. I mean, it should have won an Oscar. I don't know how the Academy skipped over that. But. All right, movie buddy, let's go to you next. You know what a flawless victory is? This friggin' movie. You know, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and say it. Like, it is. Love the end music. How do they get home? Nobody knows. Nobody freaking cares. This movie is so good. Um, I'm not even going to say it's a guilty pleasure. It's a great movie. I could see how people could call it a bad movie, but I don't. I think it's spectacular and and argue a good friend of ours once said Bill Van Vagel is if you really like a movie, calling it a guilty pleasure is like ridiculous, you know, because you enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the movie. I'd watch it again. I love it. Tommy Gunn. Well, all right. A couple of things. So first, I can't believe we didn't even talk about how there's still there's still so much to talk about. We could go back over and over again. How at the end uh, we have two new couples, like we have two <laughs> new relationships that have awesome <laughs> out of that, and they barely had time to even meet. Like, when did Johnny Cage and Sonya ever hang out? I never understood that. Like, now they're a couple at the end of the film. Like, what well, they threw in that one little scene that is so random, where they're down by the ocean. Yes, and Johnny Cage is like, you know, the, he's talking about fighting Goro, and she's like, "No, you can't do that." And he's like, "I just can't let yeah. this happen to you." It was right. Yeah. It's like he never talked before then. And I was like, he's "Where did that come from?" To my friends, it's like you just became friends in forty-eight hours. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you barely know. You don't even know their last name. Like, what's his last? Like, hey, what's your last name? I don't know. Um, so there's that. That's a whole thing. That's a whole other discussion we could go into. Um, when it comes to the actual film, though, so if I was 12 years old again, I would love this movie. It's got everything I want, you know, action, romance, ball punching. It's got it all. But rewatching <laughs> as an adult, uh, yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired. I didn't realize <laughs> it was this bad. Like I had fond memories of it. And it is just so bad now. So I can't call it a good film. Can't call it a guilty pleasure. I call it maybe a, a shitty film. That's probably a better <laughs> way to describe it. So that, that'd be my analysis of it. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, so I did not like Spider-Man 3. Like, I had a good time laughing and making fun of it. But it really wasn't a guilty pleasure to me. It was just a bad movie. Yeah. Mortal Kombat, on the other hand, is so bad that it's good. And it's just one of those movies, like Gabe brought up uh, an episode two ago, that, that I like, you know, and I told him, I said, when it's unintentional humor, that's my favorite. And this movie has loads of it. And so I like it. And I'm gonna, I am going to put my stamp on this one and say this is a guilty pleasure. Any other final thoughts or anything before we do our... Uh, our wrap up. I just can't believe we glossed over the fact that they won the tournament and then Shao Kahn still invaded Earth. <laughs> we went through <laughs> minutes of them accomplishing what they wanted and it meant nothing. It kind of goes into Gabe's point. Like, what the hell are the rules of this this tournament? Apparently, Nobody apparently knows. doesn't matter. The rules apparently do not matter. you win the tournament and you still lose. 
Seriously, Preston, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was a lot of fun. I hope you had a, a great time podcasting for the first time. Any final thoughts here to leave with our leave with our audience? No, I enjoyed it, guys. I'm I'm happy where y'all are headed with this, and I look forward to many more podcasts. So thank you all. Well, if we ever get around to trimmers, we'll we'll have you join us. Or Wes, oh, man, or jump on it, jump on it. <laughs> or Mortal Kombat Annihilation. That's right around the corner. More important. Oh, man, I don't want to just put that on. I don't want to wish that on anybody. Don't do that. <laughs> All right. For our audience, as always, you're so amazing. Thank you so much for the support. Again, you know, we're slowly bringing along some new listeners. And if you want to support us, you want to help us out, help us reach a larger audience and grow the podcast, just a couple of things you can do. Number one, subscribe to our show and leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast directory. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at real underscore cast. That's R-E-E-L. We're also on Facebook. We have a Real Talk Movie podcast page where Preston interacts with us frequently on there, and you can interact with him if you like what you've heard. And finally, if you have just any suggestions of our of our show, just or just anything you want to say to us, you know, you can email us, drop us a line, realtalkmoviecast at gmail.com. That's all together. And for us, that's a wrap.